ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the, uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the lights and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, there are three mentions of Nicodemus uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, Nicodemus belonged to the Pharisees, a rather elite group of Jews, only about 6,000 of them in Israel, recognized as something of uh, leaders amongst the, the Jewish nation. But uh, they were also usually very against the ministry and person of Jesus. But not Nicodemus. He was somewhat impressed uh, and interested in Jesus. So he comes to Jesus by night, something that's actually mentioned twice in John's Gospel, so that obviously uh, caught uh, John's attention, and Jesus engages him in conversation. I'm going to pick up a few things from this conversation this morning. First of all, uh, about the kingdom of God, and you'll find that mentioned in verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And I particularly want to call attention to this phrase, the kingdom of God. I think we can read this verse in a rather vague sense that you won't get to heaven unless you are born again. But Jesus speaks in terms of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is an enormous subject in Scripture. And it covers a huge spectrum, uh, which is much more than simply our going to heaven unless you are born again. Uh, it really touches on every part of life and, in the end, every part of the universe as well. And the importance of this theme of the kingdom of God can be underlined by the fact that one New Testament scholar said that Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom. 
And even if that is an exaggeration, if you go through the Gospels, you'll see that multiple times Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Usually in Matthew's Gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, just an example of the importance of this subject to Jesus is that if you go to Mark's Gospel and chapter 1, you'll see that the very first thing that Jesus says in Mark's Gospel, and it's there in verse 15, is with reference to the kingdom. So, Jesus speaking for the first time in Mark, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And if you go through the Gospels, you can check it out. Jesus speaks again and again of the kingdom. And then if you go to the very last verse of the Acts of the Apostles, we see that there's a mention of the kingdom there. Uh, here at the end of Acts, Paul, the apostle, is in prison in Rome. And we read the very last statement in the Acts of the Apostles that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And so that keeps the unbreakable link between Jesus and the kingdom. So this is a huge subject, vastly important to Jesus. We need to say, what exactly do we mean by kingdom of God? Well, basically, it's the government or the rule of God. And I think we often miss out on the significance of this, perhaps because we live in a country that is known as the United Kingdom, and we have a king. But our king has no real authority in this nation. He's a figurehead in our country. Ruling our country, where the power is vested, where the authority is in our country, is with our government. I mean, you've only got to think back to COVID, and whatever you thought of what the government did, you can see there an illustration of just how powerful the government actually is. They could close down schools, churches, transport systems. There was huge authority exercised very strongly and visibly by the governments at that time. So I think for us, that very often, it would almost be helpful if rather than reading kingdom of God, we were to read government of God. Because the governments and the governments of this country has authority, but what we're talking about is that God has ultimate authority, the kingdom of God, the government of God. And to be under God's government with all the benefits that that brings, you need, says Jesus, to be born again. Now, can we describe or understand the government of God a bit more? Well, yes, we can. In Romans 14 and verse 17, there's a definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, says Paul, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And these are marks of God's rule or God's government. To be under God's government is about more than going to heaven. It affects everything for us, even now. And so to be under God's government means righteousness. And uh, if we are believers here this morning, you will know that God has declared you to be righteous in His sight. And out of that, we get a desire to live righteously. And we also know that the righteousness of God would exalt our nation, especially in such a confused and uh, dark time that we seem to be living through. And then the kingdom of God is marked by peace. 
And if you're a believer here this morning, you will know that you're at peace with God. There's no enmity now between you and God. And more than that, there's a sense that we're at peace with one another. It doesn't matter about our background or our racial grouping or our education or where we've come from. If we're in Christ, the things that would separate people normally don't mean anything because we're at peace with one another. That's a mark of God's kingdom. And then there's also joy, which is a mark of God's kingdom. And again, if we're believers, we know that we belong to God. We know who we are in Christ. We know that we're eternally safe. And so there's that joy in our life. Now, all this can sound a bit idealistic, so let me just make a couple of quick comments. One is that the church is what gives us an experience of the government of God. And so here we are on a Sunday morning, and we celebrate the righteousness of God. And we celebrate the fact that we're made righteous in Him. We enjoy peace, that we, we can speak to one another across barriers that might normally separate us. And we can express great joy as we worship together. So we get in the church an experience of the kingdom. But then we also need to note that the full expression of the government or the kingdom of God is yet to be seen, and that will happen when Jesus comes again. And when Jesus comes again, as we so often say in this church, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And what's the atmosphere of that new heavens and earth? Peter tells us in his first epistle, it is righteousness. Righteousness will be the very atmosphere of the renewed creation. And there'll be peace forever. There'll be no more war, no nations talking war, studying war. There'll be no more conflicts. There'll be no more arguments. There will be peace on earth forevermore. And there will be everlasting joy and celebration for the redeemed people of God. And that full expression of the government of God will be seen and known and experienced by us when Jesus comes again. And so our need is to see the kingdom. Our need is to be under God's rule and government. It's more than just about going to heaven. It's to be under his rule and government. And for that, we must be born again. Which brings us to the second thing I'd like us to see here, where Jesus speaks about being born again. And that's in verse 3. Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's there also in verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. But in fact, with this reference to being born again, Nicodemus has immediately got a problem. What do you mean by being born again? Uh, and he expresses in verse 4 what he feels. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, we may be familiar with the expression born again, but if you're hearing for the very first time you must be born again, that's a perfectly reasonable reply. Uh, how can you enter into your mother's womb a second time to be born again? And so Jesus gives an explanation. And in his explanation, Jesus says, yes, there is a natural birth that takes place, but there is also a second birth. There's a spiritual birth, this second birth, when a person is born again. Now, I want to particularly draw your attention to verse 5, because there's a lot of debate about the meaning of this verse. Uh, Jesus is talking, therefore, with Nicodemus and says, truly I tell you, 
no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And there's a particular debate about what Jesus means when he speaks about being of water. Just look at the verse again. Truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, no, no one can come under the, the authority and the government of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to say you've got to be born of water? And this is where the debate is. Now, my personal uh, view on this is that Jesus is speaking of natural birth. Uh, before a mother gives birth to a baby, we speak of her waters breaking. And Jesus is speaking, I think, here about a natural birth and then about a second birth, which is a spiritual birth. Let me just try and show you this. Uh, in verse 4, therefore, Nicodemus refers to natural birth. He speaks about entering into a womb a second time. Surely that, that's impossible. But he's referring to the fact that there is a natural birth. And then, in verse 5, Jesus follows that up immediately, I think, by speaking of natural birth. He says, truly I tell you, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water, natural birth, and the Spirit. And here he's speaking of being born again, and of the second birth. But then I think it's confirmed by the fact that in the very next verse, Jesus says, birth gives birth to flesh. Once again, he's underlining the same point. There is a natural birth. But spirit gives birth to spirit. And so I think that Jesus is saying, look, there is a natural birth, and he's underlining that. Uh, but then he concludes by saying there's not only a natural birth, but a spiritual birth. And that Nicodemus shouldn't be surprised at this. Yes, natural, but then to enter the kingdom, to come under the government of God, you must be born again. There must be this spiritual birth. I think it's as simple as that. And even if you don't agree with me that born of water does refer to natural birth, uh, natural birth, we do all agree that Jesus is saying, you must be born of the Spirit, you must be born again. So let's go to that. How do I know if I'm born again? Can, can, I, can I be certain of that? Well, I believe again the answer is simple, my friends, that actually you know if you're born again by what you believe. Do you believe that there's one true God? Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was born in the flesh on this earth, that he died for sin, and that he rose again? And do you believe that he died for your sin, that he's forgiven your sin, and that he has given you eternal life? You say, yeah, well, that's all very familiar, but the point is this. Most people don't believe that. And why? Because although they've had a natural birth, they've not been born again. You don't believe, really believe these things, unless you are born again. So most people, if you talk about these things, they couldn't care less. Some people are even hostile to, to us mentioning these things at all. Because to believe, something has to happen, which is the nature of a birth. It's a, not this time a natural birth, it's a spiritual rebirth. We are born again by the Spirit of God. And that has to happen to us. I, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of weeks ago, we said the Apostles' Creed together, 
as a congregation. And there have been several creeds that were developed by the early church. What the creeds did was to allow believers to say together what they believe. And what you believe in saying the creed demonstrates that you are born again. Now, this is the Nicene Creed, which I think is even more wonderful than the Apostles' Creed. I mean, can you say this? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally given of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, given, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us, for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. He was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom, his rule, his authority will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Well, hallelujah. If you can say that, then you've been born again. You've been born again by the Spirit of the living God. Some of you may be aware of the death of Tim Keller just a few days ago. Some of you may never have heard of him, but Tim Keller had an outstanding ministry in New York City, uh, built a congregation in New York of 5,000, but had a worldwide ministry in terms of his influence, the integrity of his character, and especially through magnificent books that he has written, uh, the most famous of which is The Reason for God, which is an outstanding book. Inevitably, with all the tributes pouring in to Tim Keller, a number of quotations of his have been repeated. This is one that profoundly affects me. So simple, and yet really affects me. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, then ultimately all will be well. And if you're born again, you'll immediately resonate with that. It will brighten your day and it will give you hope. You must be born again. The third phrase I'd like to pick out of here is lifted up, and that's in verse 14, uh, where Jesus is continuing to speak to Nicodemus and says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And what Jesus is doing here is to identify the moment when we are born again. Now, what about this snake? Now, I think there's a certain fascination with snakes. Uh, most people abhor them and loathe them. Few people seem to actually like them. Uh, I've uh, realized, uh, I was thinking about this uh, as I've traveled in my ministry so much, that as I've traveled to different countries, how often I've had conversations about snakes with people in other countries. Commonly, that happens. Sue and I were in Zimbabwe on a ministry trip many years ago, and 
southern Africa. And uh, we were being put up with friends uh, in Zimbabwe, and they had a, a, a guest room at kind of one end of a corridor of the house in which they lived. And uh, they, the host, Pete, he showed us our room, and he said, now the bathroom to this guest room is uh, outside. That wasn't a problem, Zimbabwe, warm climate. You went out of the back door, you walked down about 20 yards, and there was the bathroom, no problem. So he took us down there, showed us the bathroom, and then he said this to us. I, I'm saying this to you seriously, he said. I just want to say that when you come into the bathroom at night, do just check it for snakes. Now, let me tell you, our bladders were concrete. <laughs> we were there for a week, and never one night did we have any desire whatsoever to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so this statement about snakes catches our attention. It actually refers back to a story in the Old Testament in Numbers 21. The Israelites were in the wilderness, and they were grumbling. And so often, what they're grumbling about is food. If you ever do a study on food in the Bible, you'll be amazed how often food comes up as an issue. And uh, they were grumbling about food. And so they're saying to Moses, oh, we detest this miserable food. That's what they say. See it there in Numbers 21. And they moan about the, the lack of, of variety in the diet. And they say, oh, that we were back in Egypt and we had cucumbers and garlic. I mean, have they come from Egypt or have they come from France? I mean, what are these people talking about? And, uh, and uh, so they're moaning about the food and God sends in the snakes. And the snakes begin to bite and people are dropping dead. Now, let this be a warning to you if you grumble about the food, okay? I would, however... Just warn you that you need to be careful. If you've got a toddler who says, I don't like vegetables, don't, don't talk about the snakes, all right? All right. Now, imagine, imagine the panic in the camp. And Moses prays for the people. Uh, I'm no longer in leadership. I was for 50 years in Christian leadership. But let me just tell you something. Leaders pray for people who grumble. Just let me drop that in, Okay. <laughs> God speaks to Moses, and he says to Moses, put a, uh, make an image of a bronze snake, and, or of a snake in bronze, and put it on a pole, and lift it up. And those who look at that snake, they'll live. They've been bitten, and they look at the snake, they'll live. I mean, it's a strange story. But all Scripture is profitable and given for our instruction, and Jesus refers this story to himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, in the Bible, Satan is depicted as a snake. Horrors in that. My friends, we've all been bitten by the snake. Because apart from the bad things that we have done, we even grumble about the good things in our lives at times. Ungrateful sometimes for the blessings that we have. And there's a promise early on in the Bible that Jesus would come and crush the snake. Now the snake is lifted up. But Jesus has crushed the snake on the cross. Jesus stripped Satan of his power of authority over our lives and over our death in order to deliver his people from the bite of Satan. And in the wilderness, the snake was lifted up, and you could look to that snake 
and you would get healing. But Jesus was lifted up on the cross, and we continue to lift Him up in our preaching and in our teaching. Look, see, believe, and in that moment, you're born again, and you have eternal life, and you're under the government of God. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished, was His cry. The snake is crushed. Sin is dealt with. Forgiveness is total. Peace with God is absolutely assured to us. Nothing else needs to be done by Jesus or by us. And John, who when he writes this gospel, so often writes with double and deeper meanings, will also be inferring this, that Jesus was not only lifted up on a cross, but he was lifted up and exhorted to the highest place, which is the throne of God. Waiting in that highest place to bring in the fullness of God's government because this kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And you'll read that in Revelation perfect righteousness on earth, absolute peace on the earth, and everlasting joy for the people of God. Look to the exalted, lifted up Christ, and you are saved in that moment and forever. Now, a final word about the love of God. Some of you will have recognized that uh, this passage actually contains the most famous verse in the Bible. And that's John 3.16. I I suppose one of the reasons, perhaps the reason, that it's referred to as the most famous verse in the Bible is because it's a, a complete summary in brief of the whole gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why is there salvation? This verse tells us because God loves us. How is there salvation? This verse tells us God sent His Son. How can we be saved? This verse tells us, look and believe. What is salvation? This verse tells us it's eternal life under the government of God. I sometimes wonder when we come to church regularly and we keep hearing that God loves us, whether we can almost get a bit sentimental in the way that we think of that phrase and think of what's being expressed. You know, your grandma loves you, well, that's nice. And uh, your uncle Fred loves you, well, that's nice. And your friends love you, well, that's really nice. God loves you, well, that's nice. Hey, we need to understand God loves us in the most extreme way. He gave His one and only Son. He was born in poverty, he lived a human life, he faced constant temptation, he had to go through all sorts of years of apprenticeship and hard work, he knew what it was to be rejected, he knew what it was to be misunderstood, he was opposed, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he knew what it was to have pain, he was given over to death, to the most terrible death that could be devised at that time, even death on a cross. Why? In order 
that he might be lifted up so that whoever looks and believes on him will be given eternal life. Are you amongst the whoever? Have you looked? Have you seen the love of God? All undeserved by us. There's a story that I have told many, many, many times in my ministry, but never here in Gateway. But uh, years ago, when I was traveling a lot, uh, I quite often flew between Mumbai and Dubai, and we had churches in both that uh, I used to go minister to. And I'd been flying a lot, and I'd never, ever flown business class. And you used to hear about these people who got upgraded, but it never happened to me. And uh, here I am, once again, traveling from, Dubai, I was traveling from Mumbai to Dubai, and I was in the queue, waiting to get on the plane, an Emirates plane, one of the best airlines in the world. And uh, as I'm in that queue, an official comes over, and he pulls me out of the queue, and he says, come over here. I'm walking over here, because Gary thinks I usually stand still and doesn't have to move the camera. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, I, the official said, uh, here, I've got another ticket for you. Give me your ticket. So I gave him my ticket, tore it up, and gave me this one. And I realized I've got a business class ticket. Now, if you ever fly on planes, you will know that there is something almost miraculous that if you go up the steps and into the plane, instead of going right, you go left. (laughs) So, oh, it's there, sir. So I was off to the left. I was in business class. And this was... uh, this was Emirates, and uh, the seat was wonderful, comfortable. There were so many levers and buttons you could do uh, with this seat. And then the space, some six foot, and I couldn't even touch the, uh, the seat in front of me. And they bring around champagne. Right? I mean, it's just amazing. And this is business class, folks. So, and so we're flying along, and I, I find that I'm sitting next to an Indian lady who's really quite elderly. She gets older every time I tell the story. But here she is. She's, uh, <laughs> she's beside me. And uh, we're going along, and suddenly the steward comes round, and he gives us all a little parcel. And I open it up, and there's there's a word of explanation. It says, there are six cut glass animals, and we want to say thank you for flying business class. That's all right. And uh, and, uh, as a a token of our appreciation, we'd like to give you a present, and you'll have one of these six animals. So I open it up, and I had a a cut glass cat with silver whiskers. And I thought, oh, it's a really nice souvenir. So I put it in the box and put it in the pouch back there. And then suddenly, this Indian lady, she nudges me. And she goes like that, you see. And I suddenly realized that, of course, she probably didn't see what animal I'd got. I didn't see what animal she got. She wants to see my animal. So uh, that's fine. So I get it out, give it to her to show, to show to her. She opens a very large handbag, drops the box in, shuts it, and that's it. It's gone. <laughs> So, so the first thing I want to, want to do is to say, hey, give me back my glass cat. But she doesn't speak English, and uh, I don't speak her dialect, so I can't go that way. I, but, you know, she's very elderly and getting older, so I can't do that and kind of grab it back. So the only other thing I can do is sit there and fume. She's got my glass cat. How dare she take my glass cat? And I had a meeting with God. In that very moment, I had a meeting with God. And God said to me... Uh, where were you And I, when you got the ticket? And I said, in the queue. And God said to me, did you pay for the ticket? And I said, no. Did you, did you earn the ticket? I said, no. Did you deserve the ticket? I said, no. So God said to me, 
it's all of grace, so why are you going on about your little glass cat? <laughs> and, far, and friends, God has loved us to the extreme. It's all of love, and it's all of grace. And you haven't paid for your salvation. You haven't worked for it. You haven't earned it. But you've been given it freely by the grace of God. So why are you grumbling about your little glass cats? Look, believe, and you'll have eternal life. If Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, ultimately, everything will be well. Let's stand together. Father, we know that no preacher can do justice to the most famous verse in the Bible. But Father, we thank you that we have it as our treasure, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but live under the government of God and have eternal life. And Father, we thank you for the demonstration of extreme love that you gave your Son, even to death, even to death on a cross. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Save us from grumbling, Lord. Saving, save us from despair. Save us from negativity. Father, we pray that we will revel in the grace of God. And Father, however hard our life may be, and for some of us today, life is very, very hard. But Lord, we know that if Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, ultimately, everything will be well. And we give you thanks. Amen.